Before we get started, I wanted to say thank you to uh, Pastor David and the session for inviting me to preach God's Word today. It's a great privilege for me to do that both today and next Sunday. Uh, And there's going to be a bit of a theme that's going to come through these two messages, which is not only that God himself raises up a people for himself, and as we'll see today, as his own army, but that Christ our Lord fights at the head of that army, which we will see next week. And so, as we approach God's word, please open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37. And as you're doing so, I want to give a little bit of, back, of background to what we're going to read today. Ezekiel's a prophet. Uh, he's a prophet during the time of the Babylonian exile, which is a time when God's people have been uh, brought out of the promised land, uh, taken to Babylon, and lest they think that it's uh, something that the, Babylons, that the Babylonians did on their own, Ezekiel is careful to remind the people that know the king of Babylon is an instrument in God's hand to bring them out of the promised land, to punish them for their sin, and eventually to restore them as they repent. And so that's how Ezekiel's writing. He's writing as the watchman over Israel. And as a watchman, he's been instructed by the Lord that if he speaks... God's word and the people repent, then he has done his job. And if they don't repent, then their blood is upon them. But if he fails to speak, then the blood of the sinners will be upon him. So Ezekiel takes his task quite seriously as a prophet of God and as we will see as a gospel preacher. Ezekiel chapter 37 is an oracle. It's a vision that Ezekiel has where he describes this vision of what is happening with the people of Israel that are in exile and what is to come. It comes after uh, warnings to all of the nations, warning to Israel, and now the book turns to the future restoration of God's people. So read with me now Ezekiel chapter 37. This is God's word. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. 
Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it declares the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to open your word this morning, this lamp unto our path, a lamp to our feet, a light that helps us to see the way, the thing that gives us every tool for life and godliness in this world. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would use your word to convince us of the truth, to convict us of our sin, and to conform us to our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take this passage and go backwards. I want to start in verse 11. This is Ezekiel's explanation of his own vision. He says this, Thus, uh, then he said to me, that is, the Lord said to Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Ezekiel is writing to a people. He is prophesying to a people who are dispirited, who are dejected, and feel like there is no hope. They're cut off. They're in a foreign land. They're away from the, from the temple service. They have every reason to believe that there is no way that they either deserve nor will they receive God's restoration. They are dried up and they're cut off. And uh, lest I take this too far, uh, brothers and sisters, there is a bit of an analogy between the people of Israel in exile, and we Christians who are in exile, who have not yet reached our final home, who have not yet reached the promised land, or been restored, as it were, to the new heavens and new earth, our bones are dried up. And at times we feel cut off, do we not? And Ezekiel, like any good gospel preacher, is here to preach uh, a message of both uh, something that causes us to grasp the reality of our situation and at the same time take hope in what God is going to do to remedy the situation. Let's take his text uh, in order now. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle 
of the valley, and it was full of bones. So right away we see this picture that Ezekiel's looking out into the valley, and there's bones. Now bones are not a symbol of, of, of life and of energy and anticipation. They are a symbol of death. Verse 2, and he led me around among them. Behold, there were very many bones on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. So it's not just that he sees this pile of bones in the valley. It's that they've been there a long time. They're bleached white in the sun. They are dead, truly dead. And he said to me, verse 3, Son of man, can these bones live? And you have to sort of envision in your head as the Lord God himself is asking his prophet, Hey, Ezekiel, do you think these dry bones can live? He has a great response. Oh, Lord God, you know. As if to say, doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like they're going to live, but Lord, you're the king of the universe. You know. Why don't you tell me, Lord, can these bones live? And that's exactly what the Lord says in verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. This is a formula that Ezekiel is using to say, it's time to listen up. Dry bones, Ezekiel, church of the Lord God, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Brothers and sisters, who's doing the acting here? Is it the the dead, dry bones on the surface of the valley who eventually cry out to say, we're lost and we're without hope? No, it is God himself who is doing the resurrecting, as it were. I will cause breath to enter you. I will lay sinews upon you. I will cause flesh to come upon you. I will cover you with skin, and I will put breath in you. You see, and God is doing this not merely for the salvation of his people, as wonderful as that is, but he saves his people for a specific reason. Look what he says. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And isn't that how it is with us, brothers and sisters? God saves us. He gives us his grace. He lays our sin upon Christ. And he does it And as we receive the benefits of our adoption and our union with Christ, he does it with a purpose that you and I would know that he is the Lord. 
I hope it's not lost on us, brothers and sisters, that we don't know that he's the Lord unless God acts. God has to be the one that takes the dry bones and puts the flesh on them. Verse 7 says this, Ezekiel says, I prophesied, I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. Remember, God has made a promise that he is going to raise these bones up, and all of a sudden it gets real weird for Ezekiel. As he prophesies and he was commanded, his vision changes. He, he prophesied and there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So you see, God promised what he would do. He said that he would act so that his people would know that he's the Lord. And all of a sudden, these dry bones start coming together, bone to its bone, covered in flesh. Sinews come upon them, but they're still dead. There's no life in them. There is no breath in them. This harkens back to uh, the Garden of Eden when God fashioned man. He didn't really live until God put his spirit in him. He breathed into him. This is the same type of language. The, The spirit of God, the breath has to come into him. And so what does God do? He not only promises to redeem this people, to raise them up, but to put the bone to bone. And then he says to Ezekiel, all right, you're not done yet, Ezekiel. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Again, God is breathing life into his people. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came in, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. I love that phrase, an exceedingly great army. Do you see the contrast? A valley full of dead, very dry, utterly hopeless Bones piled upon bones. And when God acts and he speaks and his prophet bears witness to his promise, he changes those dead, dry bones into an exceedingly great army. Well, what does an army do? An army fights. An army, uh, an army has courage. An army stands up proud, and it's on a mission, as we will see more next week. Suffice it to say now, it's it's enough to consider that God, in his acting upon his promise, has raised the dead to life. And then Ezekiel, he explains his prophecy to us. It's as if he he wants us to know exactly what he's saying. It's not just a vision of bones and God doing some really cool stuff. No, no, no. This is God's very salvation at work. Verse 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We're indeed cut off. 
Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And Christian people, I want you to hear this with your Christian ears. Behold, I will open your graves, and I will raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves, and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. I mentioned earlier that Ezekiel is a gospel preacher. What's the formula that Ezekiel uses? He's got the bad news. The bad news is, Israel, you deserve every bit of the punishment that you have received. God himself has uh, lain on you the just punishment for your sin in the case of Israel in exile. But that God, because of the need for him to exalt his great name, will not let his promise fail. We saw this back in uh, Ezekiel chapter 36 when God says, uh, verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for for the sake of my holy name. So he says, You're dead because of sin. I will raise you up. And when I raise you up, it's for the purpose that my great name be exalted. Well, I want to conclude with a couple of parallels. Like I mentioned, Ezekiel's a gospel preacher. He's an Old Testament uh, gospel preacher, as it were. Listen to this same formula we see in a couple of different places. How about this? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power in the air. And then he goes on to say, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And verse 7 echoes back to what we heard Ezekiel say when he explained his prophecy, so that, this is Paul writing to the Ephesians, God raised you with Christ, made you you who were dead alive in Christ, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then Paul uses this language about uh, these people being for the praise of God's glorious grace so that the name of the Lord would be exalted. One more passage, gospel preaching passage. Romans 3 says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Remember, this is Paul describing that 
We're all without hope because everybody has sinned. But God in His righteousness makes us alive. And Paul explains why God does this, just like Ezekiel does and just like he did to the, Paul did to the Ephesians. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if Ezekiel tells us nothing, he tells us simply that God is acting on his people, not because of what we did or what we deserve. In fact, he overcomes that which we deserve for the sake of his great name and makes you and me an exceedingly great army. Now, what are we to do with this truth? What are we to do with this gospel message that, that's throughout the Old and the New Testament that finds its end in the new heavens and new earth when the army marches through the gates, as it were, in triumph and we get to finally rest? What are we supposed to do in the meantime? Well, Ezekiel tells us at the very end of of this passage, when God says that he's putting his spirit within, uh, within Israel and within us, and I will place you in your land, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Know the Lord. That's the point. What is it to know the Lord? It is to really believe the things that we've described, that you and I have offended God, that we have justly received punishment at his hand, or that we justly deserve punishment, if you will, but that God in his mercy has turned away his wrath, has put it on his Redeemer that we heard for the last several weeks was promised and came, and he's laying on him our punishment, not just so that we could start over, so we could feel good, but so that we would be an exceedingly great army that knows the Lord. And so I ask you, brothers and sisters, to ponder in your hearts what it is to know the Lord as we embark upon this next year. And what I, what I want to put before you something quite simple. It's to orient our thinking, our emotions, our calendars, whatever it is that, that is the thing that tugs on you, and orient it to the Lord. To know the Lord is to ask the Lord to go before us and to, um, to, to be present in our relationships and how we conduct ourselves and how we spend our time and our money. And you know what? Increasingly, just like these people in Ezekiel's time, as we face the world, Knowing the Lord means trusting the Lord. If, a, if our God can not only raise a bunch of bones from the dead, but he raised the God-man from the dead, and he promises to you and me that he's going to raise us from the dead, brothers and sisters, he can fight this momentary passing weakness that we have right now, as Paul puts it. 
knowing the Lord is trusting the Lord. And I commend to you, brothers and sisters, as we embark upon this, this new year, could we agree with one another that the t- primary task before us is that we would know the Lord and trust the Lord more and more each day. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you not only promised to save your people from of old, but you have, in the person of Jesus Christ, you have fulfilled your promise. Father, we ask that you make us a people who know the Lord who know the Lord not intellectually, not mechanically, not in a clinical sense, but we know the Lord, that the fire of the Spirit of the Lord lives in us and changes how we live. Lord, we ask that You would make us this proverbial, exceedingly great army that as we face the world, we could take the word of Scripture to heart, that the righteous are as bold as a lion. And we ask, O Lord, that you would make us bold, make us winsome, humble people that approach this world with a message of hope and grace, just as you have extended it to us. I pray for this people here, Lord, that you would make us a people who are Uh, as Paul says in Ephesians, just rooted in the praise of your glorious grace. And we ask, O Lord, that you change us from the inside out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.